Welcome to Trapping Ink Scuttlebutt Podcast. I'm Rich. And I'm Sandy. And uh, again, we were out on location, but this time it's raining outside, so we're in the cabin. And uh, it's a Sunday morning. It's beautiful out here, really. It's, Yesterday think, morning was pretty interesting. Yeah, it was It was zero. Yeah, zero or 32 degrees Fahrenheit yeah. on the uh, 25th of August. Yeah. I... It's not a killing frost. And, no. And there was no actual frost on anything out there, but it was nip. Well, it was <laughs> we shouldn't act like it's any big surprise. I mean, I think one of the best snowstorms I've ever seen in August. Yeah, I said that right. In August. The best snowstorms I've ever seen in August was on August 4th. Oh. And the garden got flattened, remember? Yes. Absolutely wet snow flattened it. It was done. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we can get snow, bad weather, harsh conditions any time of the year, really. I think... Um, have we seen snow in July? I know we've yep. seen snow in June. I have. I have. And actually, I remember it being uh, July 12th. Oh. Yeah. Well, there you go. Anyway, nothing new for us northerners up here no. to have some cooler temperatures. But this morning, it rained, I guess, overnight. I wouldn't know. <laughs> I think I was sound asleep. You Maybe. were doing a little <laughs> flannel therapy. <laughs> also known as snoring. Oh, well, sorry. It just means I'm comfortable and content and safe. And it's all those things out here. So we don't have any issues with um, people or, for the most part, animals, although we have had a bear visit us. Occasionally. Oh, a little bit. But that's all part of the fun games of living <laughs> out here. Uh, we are sitting in our kitchen, which is actually, as far as you're looking this way, there, there's about half that much that way in the cabin. This is it. This is it. But those are Sandy's dirty dishes. I know. She's going to get on them later. <laughs> I always do the dishes and sweep the floor before we leave. <laughs> Today's podcast, we want to talk about trapping a little bit and about uh, planning um, a trap line, planning our season. Um, so first, on a trapping podcast, we're going to talk about trapping. Yeah, I know we we rant awesome. we rant and rave about everything, don't we? <laughs> we yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. People love that. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. I mean, now's the time of year that we want to start thinking about planning. Now that we've got our winter's wood up, and um, that smell is in the air, and that smell is in the air. And in fact, as we were wandering around with the Argo yesterday, there there are certainly some definite signs of fall. There are some leaves that are turning and. Oh, and the you beaver know, are really active. And the beaver are active. Yeah. So we know that, and I mean, just by the calendar, fall is just around the corner. And that's one of the things that you do this time of year too, though, is as we're doing cleanup on our lines and that, and that's, that's the next trip out is we, we'll, we'll make as, as much as we can. I mean, we have hundreds of kilometers, uh, over 300 and some kilometers of, of trail that uh, we got to open and a lot of it we can't open. We'll never get all the way around it before the season starts. No. Some of it I don't target until later in the season and when we've got lots of snow and then it's not so much I don't have to remove so many logs now because you're driving over everything. But And, I mean, we go out there and do something about, you know, trees coming in and yeah. inevitably we get an early snowfall where the leaves are still on a lot of the deciduous trees and they just kind of cave in anyway. So yep. it's kind of like you're darned if you do and darned if you don't. <laughs> Right? One of the first things, though, I want to talk about uh, is about trapping. And why is trapping still relevant today? Well, it is extremely relevant because trappers, as you've heard us say, are the last uh, buffer between the animals or the wild and civilization. 
we're also the first to notice diseases. We're the first to notice trends, that, that, that sort of thing. So we're extremely relevant. Um, the other thing I want to point out is that trappers are not doing damage to populations. There's a lot of studies that show, as a matter of fact, that as as a, a trap line is developed and trapped in that, the animals prosper because trappers keep it more in balance, right? You've um, got to understand that animals overpopulate huge. It's, it's just like when I was a professional walleye fisherman. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, a very common thing was is that a big female walleye, uh, an eight-pound female, she might throw 100,000 eggs. Of that less than 1% would make it to spawn themselves. So that was her way of, of uh, or nature's way of uh, providing for the species was to overproduce like that. And it's no different with our fur, our marten, our, uh, our rats, our, a- any of, uh, of the fur. The reason, you know, they, they produce such big litters in that is that only 10% are going to make it through that first winter. Yeah. Okay. So trappers are just dealing in a surplus, nothing more. We are not damaging the core population. We're just handling the surplus. And that's why, especially with things like Martin, that, that we really look for to be targeting the juveniles, the juveniles as they disperse, the juvenile males, juvenile females, that sort of thing. And it's pretty easy to tell the difference about what you're getting. And we notice that really with our with our links on this line now. This will be our fifth or sixth, sixth. winter, sixth winter sixth on this line. And last winter was the first winter that we actually got a juvenile uh, links. Yeah. Other than that, they've all been big, mature males and females, like big, big, mature males yep. and females. And so now we've got it back in balance because we, we should be catching some immature. Because if you're not catching immature, it's no different than we go back to that lake. Yep. You know, when they do netting studies on a lake and if there's, uh, if they're not netting any, any little fish, then there's no future, right? Right. It's the same thing here. So, um, Not that we want to target all the little ones, but you don't really. I mean, there really isn't any set that that targets a juvenile over a no, just over a, a mature adult. There's more of them. It's yeah. the old pyramid again. There's more of the juveniles than, than the matures. And the fact is, is that they're the ones that aren't going to make that first winner. Well, and you don't want that inverted triangle either, where all you've got is is the older ones. Because yep. if they die off, then you've got nothing underneath. Like you say, if you don't have those juveniles or, or young uh, fingerlings in the fish population, then... You, you don't have a future. So we're feeling pretty good about what our um, impact on this particular line has been. Absolutely. Things like, uh, like your muskrats, populations can get out of control so fast. In the 80s, we had a huge, because uh, fur populations crashed, and uh, we had a huge uh, uh, infestation, I guess, or, or a disease swept through. Tularema swept through uh, northern Alberta. And it hasn't been until about two since from the 80s till the year 2000 before we started seeing muskrats again. When I was a kid, there was muskrats everywhere. My brother and I used to uh, uh, trap uh, the ponds within the uh, city limits of Grand Prairie, as a matter of fact. And, and we'd put on our skates every night after school and go check all our muskrat push-ups and everything. But then that all, all disappeared when they got disease. And that's, that's the way uh, this goes, is that these, these uh, populations get these huge... Uh, build up a pop, uh, you know, up to the top where it's unsustainable, then they starvation or disease, and they crash down to where they're barely survivable. We want to just clip off the tops there so that we keep the sine wave a little closer to the middle and, and it's sustainable over a longer term. Muskrats, believe it or not, she can have four litters a summer, even here in the north. Yeah. Up to 14 per litter. Per litter. Yeah. Her first litter 
can have their first litter before the summer's out. Yeah. Not not common, but it can happen. Yeah. So you can see how those populations just explode. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And they're and they're hard on each other too. They they don't like the competition in each other and lots of times, you know, they're pushing the young ones out and they've got nowhere to go. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that a little bit later about about the fighting and that kind of stuff that goes mm-hmm. on with overpopulation, but People uh, always are emailing and calling and everything else and want to know how to start trapping. And I guess the first thing we have to talk about is the legalities. Yeah. Um, And that's wherever you are, whether you're in the U.S. or whether you're in Canada. Um, Here in Alberta, there's a number of places that you can get courses, but you must have a trapper's license of some sort. So if you have a... In Alberta. That's what I said. Yeah, they have to know their their jurisdiction for sure. Yeah. Uh, But... The Alberta Trappers Association in Alberta is a great place to go um, for information if you are looking to become um, a trapper here, whether that be on a registered line or have a residential license, a residence license. Residence, residential, same thing. Uh, Yeah, so you need, if it is a requirement of your jurisdiction, you need to get your license. Um, And in Alberta and a lot lot of the jurisdictions now are starting to go this way in Canada, especially is that uh, you have to have education. Like yeah. I know that we're uh, a snaring course is now is now recommended. Yeah. Which is because uh, we use killing snares in Alberta, and so we have a an individual course that is just for for snaring and 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 I think within a few years that's going to be mandatory that you have to have to have taken it or maybe might, might even have to review it every five years or whatever. Well, one of the great places to go for that sort of thing is find a local that's close to you, wherever yeah. it is that you are. And we know from traveling in the States that there's lots of locals around there for in, in the individual states and in Alberta as well. I don't know how many locals there are in Alberta, but we belong to one near yeah. Grand Prairie. Yeah. And, you know, you get a lot of information from there. It's a great place to be face-to-face with other trappers and learn. And a lot of these locals put on courses or bring in qualified instructors to be able to teach some of these courses like the snaring course like we took that course last fall yeah yeah Yeah. one of the things too is when we're talking about locals that might be your local club or whatever but they will all be associated with your state or provincial association correct and so they'll be under that umbrella and if there are is any uh mandatory um uh, governance or whatever that they all have to follow, they they will ensure that everybody is up to speed on it. Yeah. Um, so this, the next thing that you need to know, so I mean licensing and, and proper education is one thing, but then you need to find access. And unless you have a registered line, which in Alberta is called a registered fur management area, which is what we have here, we also have a residence license. Each. In Saskatchewan, it's an RTL, registered trap line. Oh, See, now, we couldn't have done nothing that simple in Alberta. No. It would never work for the Alberta government. Saskatchewan's got it together. Yeah. RTL. <laughs> yeah. They don't have as many people to employ, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess. Anyway. So access is really important, but in Alberta, um, you need written permission to- On private on land. On private land. Yeah. So I, I, we've mentioned this before, but there are registered trap lines and there are residence trap lines. Residential licenses are good on private land, okay? So that's land owned by somebody. Registered trap lines are out on the public lands. Registered trap lines have an owner. We're on our registered trap line here. I am the senior holder. Sandy is my junior. Uh, the senior is the owner of the line. We are the only people, the senior and whatever juniors the senior has signed on are the only people can trap on them on a registered trap line. Uh, residential trap line is 
like our home quarter. Yeah. We can sign a resident on it. We can have our own resident license on it. Right. And, uh, but in Alberta and a lot of jurisdictions, those um, permissions have to be in, in uh, written. They yep. have they have to be uh, signed and uh, in writing. You also uh, in Alberta have to have they have to check off if they want if they're going to allow to use uh, killing snares. Right. Yeah. So it's one of those things. It's just like when we talked about just a minute ago about the education. Uh, these are all defenses against uh, what's coming, you know, the, the antis and everything else, guys. Uh, when we show that we are being proactive and that we have, I mean, a lot of people hate, oh, God, I've been, I've been snaring for 30 years. What do I need a, a course for? Because until we get everybody on the same level playing field, mm-hmm. uh, we have good and bad actors. And we want to get at least everybody up to the point where we can say, hey, we're doing our due diligence, right? Well, trapping is no different than any other member of, uh, group in in society you've got good actors and bad actors but hopefully um, by bringing you some of what we know and that we've learned from others because as we've said many times we are certainly not the experts but we can deliver some of the information to help you find the experts or or to go for more information yeah and then you know when people have contacted us and uh, I say, okay, you know, you need your license. Yeah, got that. You need the education, got that. Uh, access, got that. And they said, so what trap should I buy? And I say, well, what do you know about your land? What do you know about your line? Your yeah. land, your where, line. Where are you going to be trapping and what fur bearers are on that? Now, we have 144 square miles out here, mm-hmm. which is an unbelievable amount of land. And yet... I've been going on this flat out for six years. I've probably got between the various machines. Um, I would say I have 15,000 miles on machines on this, this, this uh, land out here. And I'm still learning stuff every, yeah. every time I'm out here. I learn well, something Well, you take new. a different... If you if you turn left instead of right at Albuquerque, <laughs> <laughs> the old and, left at Albuquerque. Yeah, the left at Albuquerque. There's a lot of young people listening to this who are never going to get that joke. No, but know. everybody else. Bugs lo- Bunny. But, yeah. <laughs> Bugs Bunny reference. That's where we also learned about classical music. Yeah. Our generation. <laughs> anyway, if we took a left or a right um, on any given path, uh, you're going to find in many cases, much different habitat than what's on the other side of the turn. So you have to know your line in order to be able to plan for it. And um, hopefully you can loop because the last thing you want to do is run back across your trail. It just takes more time. And and time, I think we've talked about it before, you can't make any more of it. So it's really precious. And here, up here in the wintertime, it's dark a lot of the day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we only have right about seven I don't even, hours a day left. I don't even think about it. As a matter of fact, uh, yesterday I was puttering around out in the first shed and that, and I'm finding all of the uh, all of the, the, the different headlamps, and I'm changing batteries, and I have a collection. <laughs> Some people have a sock drawer. I have a drawer full of headlamps because at any one time, half of them are dead or need a battery, and rechargeable ones just don't work because you're never, you know, you're going all night long. You get back here. I can't run the generator at night. Well, sometimes we do. Um, sometimes we do run the generator at night, but but it's not very often because we do heat with wood and and keeps the cabin quite nice. So when you spend that time out on your line, you're constantly learning more and more of the intricacies of it and how what animals are there. 
what populations are, yeah. and how they interact with those uh, those features of uh, of your land. Those are so valuable. I mean, I can tell you that uh, I like to catch fisher on, you know, the the best fisher fisher set for me is right between, you know, that that uh, transition line between um, uh, a uh, muskeg, you know, like a, a tamarack or or a spruce muskeg and the uh, the hardwood. Yeah, you know, right, right, right on, right on that edge. I can tell you that, but until you go out and, and actually look and and see the differences in the different places, you're never going to hit the right one. No, you know, I mean, the generalities are there, yes, but once you go out and actually learn your land, so before you ever worry about what lure or what trap or anything else that you're going to do, you mm-hmm. need to learn that land. And and uh, yeah, I know that I've done an immense amount of work, and it happens on every line I go to, but I do immense amount of work really that's non-productive and you know after five six years now you're really starting to get productive yeah and that's just because you know what's going on right yeah well it you, there's no substitute for getting out there and and running the land whether that's walking it depending on on the size of your line and the access that you have that's a big thing for us because even some areas now even though the water levels are a bit lower now this time of year there are areas that uh, that we don't go even with the Argo because oh. there is some really we bottomless, have. <laughs> bottomless places out there. We have places where the muskeg is actually floating. So you have willow clumps and, and moss and all that, and you can actually fall down between it, and God knows how deep it might, maybe 12 feet deep. So even with the Argo, if you take and fall down in between willow humps, uh, somebody's got to... Somebody. Somebody. <laughs> Has to get out and pull winch to, get, to try and get you out. And then <laughs> oh, sometimes. Yeah. I love how you put your hand up and say that you're the somebody. That's not accurate. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? <laughs> sometimes you might gather up half of a muskeg and, and pull it all towards you because, uh, you know, everything's floating. So yeah. that's that. those places are creepy. We've learned a bunch of those and, and uh, we kind of stay away from them. Um, I can remember one time when it, this was when I was much much younger, and I was uh, I was out hunting, walking across the muskeg, and and I literally went uh, went straight down, and and uh, I don't know how deep it was, and, and uh, my brother was walking beside me, and he looked over, and he says there was just my hat sitting on top of the top <laughs> moss. <laughs> I came back up out of there in a hurry. I'll tell you what. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was it was bad stuff. There are only two things. You know, here's the other thing. When certainties. Yeah, well, two certainties. Because when uh, people want to talk about trapping, you know, they just the way people are, you know, we're so digital. We're on and off. We're on and off. Yeah. Did he bump your, he run his big nose into <laughs> he, that? He loves to love me. Yeah, Eli here. <laughs> <laughs> figures if you're talking, you should be petting him. Yeah. Um, there are only really two two of those on-off switches, two, two certainties when it comes to trapping. And, and they are... The opening day of of a season for a species and the closing day. Yep. Everything else in between is is up for um, interpretation. Oh, good word! I was going to use the same one. Were yeah. you? Yeah. Oh, you're getting it's like smarter. I can read. Oh, no, I can read your mind. That ought to scare you. <laughs> oh, I gave up on that. I knew you could read my mind years ago. <laughs> so I mean, there's all kinds of things we talked about about damage to fur, like in the springtime. Our uh, muskrat season runs to May fifteenth. Was not very often that we that we will trap that late because usually on an average spring by the middle of April, the the males are fighting so bad, uh, territorial and breeding and all that kind of stuff that they have huge holes in one another and and they are they're vicious little things. Oh yeah. Oh my the, god. Well, if you've ever seen the teeth on a muskrat and the and the claws on them, you can 
you, you get the idea pretty quickly. Yeah, so, I mean, we, we'll shut it down. There's no sense catching them if you're not going to get uh, good money for them, right? Well, and the other thing that we shut down early sometimes is um, our our Fisher and Martin are caught in very similar traps. In fact, you know, a big fisher yeah. will stuff his head into a 120 uh, body grip trap and with no trouble at all. And obviously the fisher are, um, are a quota animal for us. I think we've mentioned that before. Yeah. Uh, and Martin are not. But as we get closer to our, our, our quota. quota limit, then we generally just yank everything because you can catch a fisher in a lynx pen for goodness oh, sake. Oh, fisher so, are very aggressive. And we too. don't want to be over our quota. Uh, that just creates lots of questions. and, and Yeah, uh, our, qu- our quota is 18. Yeah. 18 for the season. Yep. And uh, quotas are set based on mostly voodoo, I think, but <laughs> but supposedly on where you're located and the um, uh, the size of your line. And so, you know, some places are better for fisher than than others and uh, so you get a bigger a bigger quota. But yeah, when when that comes up, well then we got to sh- shut that stuff down. The other things that they control is, you know, once again in early spring, your wolves might go springy like where they're they, they lose their nice sleek guard hairs and the under fur gets kinky and that. That might happen in February. So you'll shut it down because there's no sense catching them if they have no value, right? Yeah. But what do you think of that coffee? You know, uh, it's good. Mm. It's got no bite. No afterburn, does it? Yeah. Very, very smooth. It's old smokes coffee and it's got me wound up for this uh, trap, uh, this, uh, <laughs> this podcast. Let me tell you. <laughs> Yeah, we have 17 fur bearers in Alberta. We're pretty blessed. Yeah, we are. There is a huge number. And we have 14 of them on our trap line. Uh, we're too far north for badger, bobcat, and raccoon. Right. So, And um, we do have skunks up here, but by the time the fur is prime here, they're generally denned up. And it's one of those things. Like, I mean, there's skunks out here on this trap line, but in the big bush, you never see a skunk. You never smell a skunk. You never know they're around. No. Usually we're... Skunks are, are caught now just in the farmlands because they're making trouble, yeah. right? And people know about them. But we just, uh, there, there is no season on, on either raccoon or skunk. Right. They're and open we don't, yeah, all the year round. Yeah, we don't have. Yeah, we have no raccoon up yeah. here. And, and with, like I say, with skunk, we just never run into them. And, and yeah. uh, you know, you hear about a little bit of them in the, in the farmland and that around, around home. Uh, you know, people having difficulties with them. But as a trapper, you know, unless mm-hmm. somebody wants us to do damage control, we just... We just don't uh, have anything to do with it. We have done skunk a skunk show though before with Ryan Demchinski and his girls down in oh, uh, yeah. Southern Saskatchewan. That was an eye opener. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I enjoy. I got to go back and do that. <laughs> I, I liked. I liked it when you were uh, uh, extracting the essence. That was a lot of. <laughs> especially, <laughs> what was his warning? Oh, he said. Uh, so as you know, as you're starting to do this, keep your thumb over the vent. Because you're shoving a needle into the actual gland. gland. Yeah. yeah. So keep your thumb over the vent because um, they've been known to backfire or something <laughs> like that. And it was like, w- wow. Wow. Uh, and it was a week before our youngest son was getting married. So uh, I was extra special. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> so black bear uh, are, not, are considered big game. They're not considered uh, fur, but uh, on every trap line... Uh, like our, our trap line here, we're allowed to uh, to hunt and shoot bait um, uh, six bear. 
yeah. we're not allowed to trap them. Some places, Saskatchewan now has a, a trapping season for uh, for black bear. Yeah. And they're doing, I think, I believe with lake snares is how, is how they do it. Another animal that uh, shows up often in snares is cougar. And here in Alberta, we've got a, an exploding cougar population. Um, I think last year, was it? or the No, it wasn't. Wasn't this year? It'd be last year uh, at the AGM um, Alberta Trap Association uh, annual general meeting. A fellow was there from uh, fishing or from uh, the government, and I said, "How many were caught? You know, how many cougar were caught? Because you, you're always trying to get a feel because cougar are one of those iconic things like grizzly bears and 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 penguins or whatever that, that panda bears that people penguins <laughs> well, that that people just you know got a hug kind of thing, and so there's a lot of uh, uproar whenever cougars are caught because for one thing they are not a they're big game animal they're not a fur uh animal so none of the trappers get to keep them yeah nothing they, they no and they're and they're confiscated and incinerated yeah no one no one benefits from them in in any manner whatsoever which is just so completely contrary, my son has caught seems. now three of them and all three have been and, you yeah. know he's he's a trap line there at uh, rocky mountain house on on the eastern slopes of the rockies here in alberta and he's volunteered to skin them have them tanned uh have and the, have the skull done and all that and donate donate it to a local school or donate to anything and they take it away and they destroy it. Yeah. Anyway, back to uh, talking with the fish and wildlife fella. And I says, so how many were caught in the last year by trappers? And he says, 47. And I go, I kind of take a breath in. I think, 47, huh? I say, so is that a significant number? And he says, no. I says, what? He says, no. He says, the population is, is, is huge and growing. It's not significant. And I says, well, the next time I hear you interviewed by the media, I want to hear those words out of your lips, mm-hmm. you know, because everybody thinks that catching 47 cats is a big damn deal, and it's not. Well, and and the other thing about it is where they're being caught is is way out of where their normal habitat and we travel have, corridors would yeah, be. Yeah, we actually have cougar tracks I've seen in yeah. the snow here in the, in the springtime. There's a big old tom comes through here. Should not be any cougar here. You know, cougar are supposedly the eastern slopes of mountains, mountainous areas is, is where they live. Mm-hmm. We are a long ways from, as a matter of fact, we brag about our trap line that we have one hill on our trap line. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's, we have a sign there, and you know, lover's leap or, <laughs> or it's not much overlook. of a hill. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, maybe it's a muskeg overlook, yeah. but it, it's because it's, it's so not flat a, and, and yeah. muskeggy here. This is not a place where cougars should be, but they are. And that's just because the population is is so huge, they're getting pushed out and pushed everywhere, and it's causing a lot of a lot of problems now. You know, and, uh, pets are being uh, drug off and and that sort of thing. The two uh, cougar, though, that are mountain lions that are being caught by trappers are old females mm-hmm. who can no longer sustain, so they're turning to scavenging off of wolf bait piles, yeah. or young, the young that are are being kicked out, and, and so they have to go find their own area. And they don't do real well at it, and that's where they end up. Uh, I know uh, my son, the three, I talk about the three that he's caught and turned in. Uh, two are very young, and one was very old. Yeah. You know, one, she had, she only had uh, two canine teeth left, and, and you know, she was 87, 87 pounds, and she yeah. should have been a 140-pound cat. She was starving to death. Yeah. And that's, that's a sad thing when, uh, when that kind of stuff is going on. But anyway, we, uh, so next this coming up Friday is September 1st, 
Mm-hmm. And then we are only a month away from our first opening, our first season opener. Well, yeah, and that's October 1. And on that October 1, Muskrat opens, Beaver opens, uh, Coyote, Wolf, and Fox. However, we won't target any of them. No. We generally don't start until around the end of October, and that can can be good for us for Muskrat, yeah. and sometimes we're breaking ice. <laughs> yeah, it's the worst thing. You know, it's... It, it's um, there's no, no a no good amount of uh, of ice until until you can actually walk on it. It's kind of like you can't be a little bit pregnant. Um, when you get that quarter, half inch, or one inch ice, it's still not enough to be able to, to to walk on, and yet it's too much to be able to canoe in or or, or yeah. wade through. So, we wait till the end of uh, of October just because uh, two things. One, uh, I want those animals I catch to be prime, as prime as possible, and and I want them, you know, to the most value. And the later in the season, the bigger they are. They grow very fast. Yeah. Okay. The only exceptions there would be um, damage control. Well, yeah, and but when when we're talking about uh, about the muskrat, I, is I want I want them to be as prime as possible and as and as big as possible. So the difference between October first and October twenty first is can be quite a bit in a muskrat's yeah. life. Uh, I hate being the king of the double X small at the at the auction. <laughs> <laughs> True. So uh, that 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 that's one uh, one point that's the, that's important when it when it comes to the muskrat. And the second is is that you get a ton of winter kill with muskrat. They are not really bright. I mean, they're a rodent, so they're not really bright. And uh, a lot of the bodies of water that they choose, uh, they can't make the winter through. Right. So a lot of people will say to me, and I, I I hear this conversation all the time. Man, I've got this this pond. It is so full of rats. You should see the push-ups on it. And I just can't wait till spring when they're all going to be big and prime and all. And then spring, they're not there. Well, they can either starve to death, they can get disease and die, you know, or they can get froze out. They can get froze out from their food. They can get froze out, you know, froze into their into their uh, their their dens and that kind of stuff. So. With muskrat, it's that old bird in the hands, we're two in the bush thing. So I do them as late as we can in, in October. Yeah. And if we find push-ups, we'll trap them in the wintertime too through the ice because they're yep. just, then Then that's generally when we do get some extra large and they are very, very prime. Well, and, and out here in the big bush especially uh, is not a good place for muskrats. No. A lot of otter, a lot of mink out here, and they're very, very hard on, on muskrat. Uh, when uh, most most of the muskrats all come out of the prairie farmland, all yeah. those all those little potholes and that kind of stuff is where they come from. And uh, so that's that that's where we we'll target them out here in the big bush. Lots of times when I'm setting for otter in the middle of winter, and that I will I will run into a bunch of push-ups. Well, I will I will set them right away because it's only a matter of time before an otter or a mink digs their way into yep. that push-up and freezes them out anyway. Yeah. And it happens every winter. Because yep. it's funny because you'll see, you know, I'll have a, th- this little pond here and it'll have a dozen push-ups on it. And, and then then they all get dug out and, that next, and then the next winter, there's no push-ups on it. Yeah. None. Like, I mean, the otter and the mink will actually clean out uh, clean out a body of water and then move on to the next. And then they, they come check it every year. It's really cool because in the snow, you can see otter yeah. traveling. They come check it. But if there's, there's none of those push-ups in that around, they're gone. Yeah. You know, so I mean, everybody talks about how nature's in balance and all that. No, it's not. <laughs> Nature eats, tells, full, and then goes yeah, away. And whether that's exactly. the last one or whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Our beaver, we don't target in the fall unless we have to. That's yeah. the damage control part of it. Um, you know, we have. It looks like we're going to be this fall, though, because I see the. 
<laughs> We've been traveling around and I see them crazy beaver are, are building water everywhere and along the roads and that. Yeah. So the oil well, I expect be... we're going to be getting a call from the oil company here yeah. very shortly because they're, they're starting. They have been there to, to clean out some culverts, but, I, you know, um, it takes. Are you going to finish? This is just too cool, man. I know it is. <laughs> it's a little bullet. Yeah. I'm, and I, and I, I'm really going with the bullet here anyway, so. There we go. I'll figure it out, too. Yeah. Ooh. Look at it. It kept it nice and hot, too. That's yeah. Awesome. That, is, that is just as cute as you yep. Anyway, it's so some beavers might get it this year um, close to where we are, close to the roads. But for the most part, we wait then until uh, January through the ice yeah, for them. Yeah, a lot of, uh, I mean, the only... The only only reason I would do them in the fall is either damage control or, or if I need bait. Mm -hmm. We got lots of bait this year. Mm -hmm. I've been really yeah. stacked up ahead of time on that. <laughs> and coyote and wolf and fox, um, they're not, none of them are prime in October. No. Not even this far north. Not even close to being prime. Yeah. Um, I will start setting up my wolf baits then. It just yeah. depends on, on the amount of snow. And cold, too, because if you if it's not freezing then it's way too easy for the birds to just clean up everything. everything. Oh my and God. then you're just hauling bait. And it, and for us, we, we pick up a lot of roadkill. We have to have a special permit for that. But um, we we pick up roadkill and, and deposit it and whatnot. But it's it's a lot of work to do all of that. And if the birds are just going to eat it. I mean, in the, in the wintertime when things are frozen and it takes a bird longer to, yeah. to, to eat it, it's yeah. a great calling card for... For the wolf and coyote, we're targeting the wolf out here, but more than anything. But yeah, once but, once again in the big bush, there aren't many coyotes because there are wolves. Yeah, and, and the wolves eat. Yeah, and the here coyotes. we don't have as many wolves as others do in different areas because we don't have the the big game populations out here. Yeah, either. our ungulates are pretty low. Um, very very few deer, no elk at all. No, we and have occasional moose. moose. Yeah, we have moose. And so there, if you look at, uh, at a big square, which is our trap line, it's a big square. We have one uh, pack of wolves that kind of loops onto the top part of our line from, from out of the, the northwest, I believe. And we have another that comes out of the, out of the south or, or southeast that, that loops on the bottom. And where they, the lines where the interspierce is always hilarious because if they both happen to be going through there in the, at the same time, the one side is all covered in pee from the, of, a, of a seismic line. It's all covered in in pee from from one of the herds or one of the packs and the other side's covered in pee from the other pack it's this big this <laughs> peeing match really yeah <laughs> is what exactly. it is but uh, wolves are one of those animals that are, are really difficult you need to have the perfect amount of snow yeah you know if you have uh too little snow then they're really really hard to it's impossible just about to set a foothold for them because a lot of our footholds are, are done blind yeah. You know, like uh, step downs off of beaver dams and all that kind of stuff. And we'll cover all that in future podcasts. But the uh, if you have enough snow where they have to walk as a pack and they follow a trail, and you can hang a lot of them in a hurry with, with, yeah. with snares and that. If you have too much snow, then they take and go yard up wherever the, the big game animals are. And the big game animals will yard up right into, into the thick... Uh, um, into the thick bush and that, or lots of times the, then the wolves will actually go to the farmlands too, mm -hmm. you know, because they, they can travel around. And they better. do. We know they do because we get calls. <laughs> and so there's there's another one of those of those situations where the only definitive thing is opening and closing day in between. 
you know, uh, the Wolves may not be around yeah. or or it may be too much snow to, to really focus on that year. The other thing Again, is... Again, it's a science, right? It's not a, an absolute. There's... Uh, um, there's a science to what what we do yep. in terms of yep. determining when we're going to, you know, I mean, just because it's November 1st or October 1st yep. or, or whatever it is doesn't mean that we're just going to hit the ground running. In, in some instances, yes. Um, in others, no. In actual fact, the amount of daylight is how an animal's hide primes. Yeah. Okay. Now, there's a difference between prime and full winter heavy. So prime is how thick the leather is. Right. Okay, so that's when you, uh, beaver's a classic example. You take yeah. it, skin it out, and it dries, and it's got black on it. It wasn't prime in those spots because that because that um, uh, leather is thin enough that you're actually seeing the roots of the hair from the other side. So the amount of daylight that they get controls how thick that their, their hide is or the primeness of their hide. Now, the fullness and how heavy the fur and all that is has to do with cold. Yeah. So you could have uh, a... Uh, a marten or a fisher or a wolf or whatever that is actually prime, but not not get uh, full winter heavy on it because it's it's the the fur just isn't there. It hasn't been yeah. in enough cold weather, right? Exactly. So another thing we've had a problem with with, with wolves this, uh, in the last few years is everything's been mangy. Yeah, and that's a sign of overpopulation. Yep, and it's just heartbreaking. You know, I mean, it's a brutal, brutal thing for those animals to oh. to have it. Like they, it's I, if anyone has ever seen mange or experienced mange um on the fur bears that they catch you can just see just how how brutal how yeah it's just a terrible way for an animal to die and for a trapper there is so much effort that goes into uh putting up baits and maintaining baits so that if if and when that pack comes around that there's something there to hold them yeah. long enough for your snares to be effective, and that we we snare only yeah. for on killing baits, snare yeah. for those on for wolves on those baits. But um, yeah, it's it, so there's a lot of effort that goes into it, and if all you're catching is mangy critters, first of all, you have to be really careful that you don't drag any of that back to your own household. So you have to be yeah. careful about how yeah. you handle them. And uh, and you should really burn them because they it's it's just oh it's gross. Well, that's the problem with <clears throat> a pack animal. I mean, not, yeah. Uh, when you start, you catch one animal out of a pack that has mange. Just about the whole pa- pack has mange. Yeah. It's well, just, it's, it's just how the they way it keep is. warm. They, yeah. It's how they manage. It's anything yeah. pack related. So. So that, that that that's pretty tough. That is. So anyway, then that's the first of. Uh, October. October. Now, when we hit first of November, that's probably when I'm going to be setting up my uh, my my wolf baits. But more importantly, that's Fisher and Martin. Yeah. Fisher, Martin, Weasel, and Wolverine. Mm-hmm. And so everything goes day one because at at this uh, this far north, they're all prime. They're yeah. all prime and all ready to go. And and uh, so we go hard. We we set up. Uh, we have over 400 boxes spread out across. And I, because we're remote. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't pick up our boxes in the in the the uh, spring of the year or when the season's over. We pick up our uh, our traps. Just the traps. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so we ha- have different areas that we uh, we set and target. We want to. It's you know we just skim. We just skim the cream or, or we cherry pick and and you'll be maybe two weeks or three weeks in one spot and move to another. And but we probably are running 180 to to 250 traps for at a time f- at a time for Fisher yeah. and Martin. Yep. Yeah. We close some down, open some others. It really kind of depends on what we find we're catching as well. 
And we opened uh, part of a new line, and all we caught was Fisher, 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 Fisher. Yeah. And then now we're catching more Martins there. We did last year catch more Martins yeah. there. So Martin and Fisher compete with each other and and eat. Well, the Fisher Fish, will Fisher eats the Martin. Eat the Martin. So it's all about size. Know. Yeah. It's all about size. Yeah. You know, you got the fox, you got the coyote, you got the wolf. Well. The, the coyote eats the fox and 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 the uh, the wolf, wolf eats the coyote, the coyote and the fox and it's the same thing with the, with the martin he's here yeah. you know <laughs> the only thing he gets to eat are voles and and mice and squirrels and but everything above him the fisher they, yeah. they eat martin exactly so we um we don't trap anything close to the cabin really when it comes to fisher and, and martin mostly because we have short-tailed weasel here yeah and uh, they keep the mouse and squirrel population yeah. under control here so <laughs> we have to be careful. I remember I was out here by myself <laughs> one time and uh, it's easy for an animal to get underneath our cat uh, underneath our cabin here because it's elevated a little bit and and uh, it's insulated but I got in I don't know, I'd been out checking the line and I got in at like three in the morning and I lay down and I must have fell asleep just bang. Anyway, because uh, uh, when I looked at the at the clock, it was an hour and a half later, and there's this god awful screaming going on. I sit up in bed, and I don't know what's going <laughs> on, and, and I realize that there's thumping. And it, what it is is a, is a weasel has got himself a squirrel underneath the cabin because <laughs> the squirrel will sleep at night. And, and there is a bloody battle going on. Oh my god! So anyway, was... I mean, we've got all of those, um, and included in that would be the wolverine. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, we, Wolverine are a quota animal and no matter the size of your trap line in Alberta at this particular given time, anyway, you're allowed one. You're allowed one. Yeah. Um, in some other areas of the province, they are much more prevalent. Yep. Um, and, and some trappers do find that they can get some, well, it's not permission, but it's, what would you call it? I guess. Uh, well, they, they get to keep, uh. Anything they catch over the quota, they get to keep, and yeah. uh, as long as they're not going up to target them, because particularly in areas north of here, and uh, the sh we've had a couple of shows in season four that show that there's a an interaction or a relationship of some sort between lynx and wolverine, mm. and where you have one, you, lots of one, you have lots of the other, yeah. and we're not we're not sure what it is or why it is or whatever, but we did visit with a fellow. And uh, they've, uh, you know, the, they, they catch certainly more than one Wolverine and, every year. And but 60, 70 lynx. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a really big success story. But that's one of the things that the Alberta Trappers Association has been involved with is um, a study that's been done uh, with the, I think it's with the Alberta Conservation Association, right? Yep. And uh, the U of A. Yep, on the, on the Wolverine. On yes. the Wolverine. So uh, we didn't know... We hadn't scratched the surface on Wolverine until this study was commenced, and now now we know how much we still don't know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was actually kind of good because there was no, nobody knew a damn thing about Wolverine, but yet they're going to make decisions in yeah. typical government fashion. Yeah. Uh, so November, we're pushing hard. I'm I've I've probably setting setting up a uh, wolf bait or two, but I'm really focusing hard on my uh, on our Fisher and Martin. We're giving her hard on that. No, uh, December one. Now, otter and lynx open up. So, while I'm also checking all my Fisher and, and Martin, I'm opening all my lynx pens, and we run hundreds of them. Yeah. Because it's funny. 
We're allowed 22 of those a season, and, and uh, you run hundreds to... Not 22 pens, 22 no, links. 22 links. <laughs> we have hundreds of pens. Links are the most erratic animal you'll ever have anything to do with. And, yeah. And the biggest thing about them is that you have to have the correct thing there in, uh, in front of them when they show up. You have to take advantage of him just staggering his way up to your, your set. So it takes a, a pile of... Uh, uh, of uh, lynx pens and and uh, I take in uh, blind snare around a lot of sets and all that kind of stuff in order to catch that. But that's so that's in the early part in, of December. I'm getting that going hard, yeah. and I will have my eyes open for otter. Now it'll depend on how much snow there is. I mean, it starts December one, and at that point we're usually froze. Yeah. Okay, and I will start setting some otter sets if we have where they're crossing over a dam and there's open water. I'll get a set on that where they're going in and out of the water or uh, or places in, in where they go in alongside the cattails, that, that kind of stuff by a, by a beaver house. I will I will take advantage of those because those animals are only there while that water's open, you know, and then, yeah. then, then they move on. Usually, depending on the amount of snow again, so yeah. this is where you got to be, you know, flexible, the amount of snow, I'm not going to start targeting those those otter till a little bit later in the season when they're they're making all those trips and we, we get to see their, their trails in the snow and, and uh take and do those blind sets. So yeah. usually the first of um of December is focus on those links and carry on with the with the Martin. And sometimes and we have quite a bit of snow in December, sometimes not. Sometimes yeah. it doesn't happen until around Christmas time or early into the new year. But that that'll also uh determine the method of transportation that we use, whether it's yeah. the Argo or whether it's the snowmobile. So and law, usually, usually by by before Christmas, we have uh, all the wolf baits are up and firing, and all the snares are out for them. Yeah. And uh, we come out for for a week at Christmas time, and I will I'll take and spend some time putting out some footholds and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. because we have to check them every every forty eight hours. Yeah. And uh, that uh, gets us through then into into January, where and everything is open. Yeah, everything is and. Well, everything is actually open to December, but uh, now in January, as I'm, uh, more than likely we've, we've, we're winding down on our Martin and Fisher. Yeah. We've, we've probably quoted out. It goes to the end of January, but we've probably quoted out at that part, at that point. So now I got time on my hands. Ooh. I got to do something. <laughs> time. <laughs> With that precious commodity that we were talking and about earlier. So I'm focused heavy on, on the, uh, on the lynx and on the otter. And now I start. Beaver. Beaver. Yeah. And. I'll set up on a one or two beaver lodges every day as I go by them. I'll, I'll take and go out and, and do a set on them. And that can be a lot. Like last winter was terrible amount of snow, and, and it was just like it never ended just shoveling. You know, I don't even shovel snow at home. I have machinery for that, but out here I'm running a shovel. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's, the, that's the reality being out here. I mean, you, there's a certain amount of mechanical uh, assistance that we have, and then there's, then there's some that we just can't access out here. It's too far. We have, uh, in January and February, usually we have a, a, a Chinook or two, and that's yeah. uh, animals really move heavy during those Chinooks, so you can get a big flush of fur then. Yeah, uh, and it's nice because then, you know, if we if we have some nice days where, where the high is minus 10, it's just beautiful, yeah. right? Most often we, we, we pull our, our lines long before the seasons are done. Yeah. Like uh, the uh, mustelids, so that's uh, weasel and... Uh, Fisher, Martin, Wolverine. All go to the end of January. Uh, actually, I think Weasel goes to the 15th of February, but mm-hmm. we po- we, we, they're an incidental to, to the, the other four, or the other three. So those are all pulled for sure by the end of January. Uh, Cat Lynx goes till the middle of, of February, yeah. and we pull that. 
and uh, then yeah, we're usually done before then too. At that point, I might be I might be focused really heavily on otter. We're allowed twelve otter, so uh, sometimes in a day you get four or five otter if you when, yeah. when you hit them fishing in creeks and that kind well, of stuff. Well, and but. traveling when they when they travel, they travel kind of in a family unit for the yeah. for the most part, or or there's there's several of them, and we can often take most, if not all. And then in there, after all the times of being bored, checking checking uh, your your wolf baits night, you'll go staggering through in the middle of the night, and a flashlight will light up a set of green eyes looking at you, and life gets exciting. Yeah, <laughs> life can get really exciting. Yeah, so I mean that goes on, and then usually end of February, the the, the wolves are done. Uh, coyotes are usually done around yeah. around home at the same time, and and we uh, don't they, have very many fox up in up no, in our area. No. At home, either, and and then then we then we start looking at uh, at moving into uh, uh, the the spring muskrat season, which is which yeah. is a great time. Uh, that is kind of how we plan things out. This yeah. year, we're going to add. We're going to go back into an area that we've we've been closed out of. Yeah, we had so, there was a pipeline spill up yeah. here about three years ago, and uh, the northwest corner of our yeah. of our line we haven't been into. In, in that, that amount of time. Yeah, that got a little hairy, actually, because Richard was doing a sportsman show in the middle of March, and he got this panic call from the oil company about where all of his traps were set because they'd had an oil spill up there, and they wanted to send people in to determine, you know, where the spill was and how bad it was, but they were afraid that some of their workers were going to step in a 330, and I don't blame them for being concerned about that. No. But, um, yeah, there was a and, – and then um, – yeah, we haven't really heard anything much from them over the last while. No, it's, uh, they, they, they've, I don't know, refused communication or don't think we need to know or whatever. Anyway, we're going back. Yep. We're going through there. And the whole thing was, was that, I mean, in the bush and that the trails are, are what you follow. Well, this pipeline was, was my access up there and I'm going right through it this year. Heck yeah. with them. It's time, it's time to get back up there trapping. I yeah. need, I need to, uh. Uh, I'm going to shut down the, the the eastern side of the, the northeast side here and, and do the northwest for for yeah. Fisher and Martin. It's it's very much time, but so that's how we plan, how that, we start, and and where we're getting to here in the next few. And weeks. how how quickly it can change because yeah. we, you know, like I say, things things can can change so fast. You know, yeah. Three three years ago, we had nothing for for muskrat in the fall because on the fifth third, pardon me, the third of October, it froze hard enough. That you couldn't use a, a a canoe and yet you couldn't walk on, yeah. so we were done. No 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 no, no muskrat that fall, yeah, at, at all, right? So you just got you got to play it by ear. But knowing knowing your land and knowing your animals is the most important thing that you're ever going to do out trapping. Yep, and learn. Well, uh, we would like very much for everybody to join us at www.trappinginc.com. And from there, you can find the links to everything, to our to this podcast, to our YouTube, to uh, Amazon Facebook. Prime. Yep. Yeah, we are we are uh, a, a video direct supplier for Amazon Prime. We're doing really well there. Yeah. Very popular. Yeah. Uh, uh, our Facebook uh, stuff, Instagram, Twitter, all that. Uh, we really like hearing from you all. We, we, we like spreading the message about trapping and why trapping is necessary and why trappers are good people or conservationists. Yeah, we are a conservationist. So thanks very much for joining us. And uh, we hope to hear from you and see you. And we hope that you have a great season. And maybe we'll see you down the line.